3: Welcome to a special edition of New Zealand Sport Radio. I'm your host today, Stephen Harris, In today's edition of the Long Chat, it's the most southern provincial region we head off to and catch up with current Southland Stags coach, Dale McLeod. Before we bring Dale in, also joining us today, Steve from Stagland. He's one of Southland's biggest supporters. In fact, he's a supporter of all sport in the southern region. He, had his own, he has his own Twitter account, which is at Cornflake.com. B-T-B. Good to have you on board, Steve. Tell me, what does the B-T-B stand for?
1: Ah, you see, opening a can of worms there. Behind the post stands for, which is my website, you can catch um, any written documentation you want to read uh, rather than watching a video. So there we go. We're integrating YouTube, websites, everything you need's right there. But it's good to be here. I mean, it's great to be here with with, with the local boys, you know, the Stags, best team in the country. Results don't matter at the moment because we're building for something special, right? We can get behind that.
3: Absolutely. So that's that's what being a good supporter is all about. So without further ado, welcome to New Zealand Sport Radio, Dale, and thank you for your time. Just a quick question before we get in: How has lockdown been? And have you managed to keep yourself working through these unprecedented times? Yes. Yeah, so for us, it's been very busy. Um, we've been
0: um, we got fifty two boys who are and work at the moment, and um, our training programs. And so for us, it was really important to keep them engaged and busy through this isolation. So we've put them into mini teams and we've been working real hard, keeping them busy uh, with tasks, with um, fitness stuff they do. So it's sort of, we've tried to keep everything as normal as possible within um, within the way things are at the moment, really. So, yeah, very busy.
3: Now, Dale, I suppose for, for most of us, the interest in the, the national game pretty much comes at a young age. Was, was that similar to yourself?
0: Yeah, look, I remember uh, growing up in the days where you played in, frosty mornings. Um, I can't remember when I wasn't playing as a young fellow. I don't even know whether I started as a four-year-old or a five-year-old, but I know it was very early. And look, mate, yeah, it's just sort of ingrained in the fabric of um, a country boy, really.
3: Absolutely. And you started down in in, in Now Kourau's around about, what, 60-odd Ks from Oamaru. So, uh, yeah, I can imagine getting out their feet early in the morning. Did you sort of have anybody that you, you sort of looked up to at a young age?
0: Well, um, there was there was players down here. Obviously, my mum's brothers were playing, so I started in, in Central Otago until I was about eight. So mum's mum's brothers were were keen rugby players. So I always looked up to them and followed them. And then um, when I come over to to uh, Kureo, there was a guy running around. Um, there was a Phil Guard, um, and his family Mate Guard and. Yeah, there, there's some pretty strong. As you get in country clubs, there's pretty strong families, and and through that you had your Ian Hurst and and Phil Guard. So they were guys that I looked up to as a young guy coming through the rugby circles.
3: Yeah. now every now every sort of child that sort of goes through the age groups always sort of looks at the uh, at the first fifteen. Did you play a bit of first fifteen for
0: you? Oh look, mate, I was never really lucky enough to um, to do that. I was always a bit of a small country school, and you know we I I, I remember playing. Always wanted to go to Omaru to play for Waitaki boys or or that type of thing, but just the way things were in economics and that, um, we shifted to Kurao because of the high school. So I remember playing for the Kurao under-18s when I was 13, and that was just how you did it. You played uh, well outside your age groups, but you know, I never was lucky enough to go to a first-15. It's something I always probably regretted, um, but it just wasn't possible because of where we lived and, and how things were.
3: Just bringing uh, bringing Steve in for the first time, Steve. There is something uniquely special of, of, about the the community game in the regions.
1: Oh, oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, it's it's different to the big uh, the big states, isn't it? Because uh, you got a bit more support. I mean, like I said earlier, the results don't matter so much, do they? Because it's supporting your team um, and getting them behind them, which is a, the greatest thing I find about it. I did have a question about your playing career. Did you play your trade a little bit in Australia as well? Oh, I, I played a little bit of rugby in
0: Australia, but um, yeah, I sort of spent most of my rugby in, in North Otago, and then um, headed overseas to Australia and played in Australia. How um, did you then, find that so different to here? Uh, for me, the biggest thing going to, I played in Queensland for Easts, which is a Brisbane club, and they had a very, very strong club competition. So I played first grade over there, but it was all Australian players, and um all the New Zealand boys that were over there they all played fourth and fifth grade or third grade um and so a lot of the boys I played with were in Aussie were lawyers doctors accountants whereas all the plumbers builders mechanics were all third and fourth graders so that was my biggest thing that I found at the start um just the, how their fabric is and how they do things in Australia and um but look I love my time there but yeah it wasn't Nothing like home, I can assure you of that.
3: <laughs> and and you and you made your and you way, made your way back to New Zealand. where you are sort of at an age where you're you were looking at playing senior senior club footy? I know you you spent a better time up in, uh, in in Christchurch as well. Did you pretty much get into senior footy straight away, or was did you have an eye on coaching?
0: Well, I, I always sort of coached. Even when I was playing, I'd always coach a junior team. I was always involved in junior rugby and um, so I'd probably coach for about five, six years before. I, um, when I come back from overseas, I come back in the uh, to what, for the 87 World Cup um, and that was my intention to follow the World Cup around and then when I got back, I ended up, um, thought I'll do a bit of work. I went down to a local um, garage and uh, did a bit of work and one of the guys that was there was captain of the Papakura senior team and I only had intentions of being in Auckland for, for the World Cup, so for three or four months. I ended up staying there six years, um, played for Papakura, um, and then made my way back down to Christchurch. And same scenario, I uh, arrived in Christchurch. I was always sort of a an Otago lad, um, so I didn't know many people in Christchurch. And I was a country boy, and I got there, and I used to race boats. And one of the guys I knew, he was at the Lincoln Club, so I ended up going out there just for again the last four or five weeks of the club comp, and I played there for five years. So. I sort of uh, seem to plant the feet and stay there for a while. So, yeah, I, um, that's how it come about.
3: Oh, fantastic. So you, you well, once yourself found yourself in in Sconston and in Christchurch rugby, and something that I've got, I've got to ask you about Canterbury rugby. I've always, I know, speaking to a few friends from down that way, the quality of the, of the club rugby in Christchurch has always been pretty solid. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, look, I remember going to, um, and this is just an example. I went to a coaching course up there, and we just had local coaches, and the local coaches were Wayne Smith, Rob Penny, Steve Hanson, um, Vern Cotter. You know, it was just so rich with um, people involved in the Canterbury system, and then Tobi Metz and Scott Robinson. So the list goes on, and then I suppose it's uh, you sort of become what the more the competition grows, the more people invest in, the coaching has to be better. The players have to be better. So that's been one of the reasons why I believe Canterbury is so strong. And they don't do anything different. All they do is they just have pretty passionate, and I'm not saying there's not passionate people out there, but they're pretty driven um, to succeed. And I think that's created the environment. They still do the things. They're all the same qualities they require around work ethic. Um, they've probably got better, better numbers to pick from, and it just creates more, more, more. So... Look, they've got really good systems, and I learned a lot, and it was a great, uh, a great development for me
1: um, in my coaching.
3: Mm. Yeah, Steve, you got anything to add to that?
1: I'm interested as to what, what inspired the, the change to go from, from your, your playing days um, in, into the coaching role. What, what appealed to you in coaching um, that you obviously picked up from your playing days, or what made you make that move into coaching as opposed to something else? Well,
0: probably the last
1: um, four or five years of my playing, I probably
0: felt I was the coach. Um, So I played 10. So usually as a 10, you do a lot of the driving and and a lot of the game plan stuff. And I'd been a captain and and those sort of, so it was just a natural progression for me. And what I found really tough was when I stopped playing, um, I tried to give the game away um, and I always found myself going back to it and playing, but as the body got older and and thing, I just, if I wish I'd gone to coaching probably five years earlier. um, So I was coaching my lads when my my lads were growing up. So I'd always coach one of their teams one year and the other lads team the other year. So I never tried to be with them for too long. And then it was just a natural progression that I, uh, as I said, I should have done it five years earlier, stepped out of it, but I learned a lot while I was still playing and coaching and and have that blend, so that that's the reasons why I love the game and I and I just really uh, one of the things I always talk to people about young people keep you young, so while you're coaching young people and and energetic and and challenge you around ideas and things it it keeps I I'm I feel young because of it, not that I am.
3: <laughs> and, and Dale, just just moving along, and, and once you um, got an opportunity to, to coach at, at senior level, which, which club did you end up hooking up with?
0: Uh, so I finished playing at uh, Lincoln in Canterbury. Uh, that's the Lincoln club. And so I coached there for two years, and then I went to Sydenham in, in Christchurch and coached there. That's where I did my first coaching, and then from there I progressed.
3: Okay, and while but while you were coaching as well, obviously holding down a, a, a full time job, what were you doing as well in terms of your
0: yes, I, I had an automotive and marine business, and so I was probably a little bit lucky that seeing you know, I was self employed and I had staff, I could because uh, as anyone knows who coaches club rugby, it's a it's a pretty big commitment. Um, it's probably I was doing probably twenty to plus hours a week on my on my coaching with um, Sydenham Rugby. Then the earthquakes come along, and that wrecked a bit of stuff for a few people, and, and I was lucky enough that Sydenham Rugby offered me a role as a full-time RDO with them, as in director of rugby, and I was also still doing uh, Canterbury Colts. I got into that as well, so I was doing Sydenham Canterbury Colts and my RDO role and still running the business, and then the earthquakes finished that all together. So I was very lucky that I was well-supported through uh, my coaching by one Sydenham Rugby Um and then my business and um, and Canterbury with the Canterbury Colts. So, yeah, I was pretty busy there. And I, so I got used to working. Um, um, and I, for Kelly, um, she was very, very accommodating to the amount of time she let me devote to my rugby. So, yeah.
3: And, and during this time, raising your own family as well?
0: Yes, yes, raising the kids, yeah. So, yeah, no, very busy. But I'm the sort of person, if I'm kept busy, I'm fine. Um, and I like to have things and challenges in front of me. So, uh, rugby a good thing for that. And I really enjoy the people that are involved with the game, no matter what level. Um, and I suppose for me, you know, I've been pretty lucky to coach at both ends of the country, um, at Northland and, and at Southland and be involved in, in Canterbury, and, you know, gee, there's some, met some great people and, uh, and the game is so strong in the provinces. And you just got to love the passion and the people. And and if you take it for what it is and, and, and understand where they're coming from, then it's really easy to work with them. And, look, you know, um, I'd go back to all, all those areas again tomorrow.
3: So. I, I always used to – Dale, I always used to ask this uh, uh, question to a lot of, lot of senior coaches, like, who is the best player that you've ever coached? Some would say I haven't quite seen him yet. But uh, in your time, you probably had a lot of Canterbury Crusaders players – uh, come across your books? Who's the best player you've seen? Oh, look, mate, I, I
0: was very, very lucky. I had a, uh, a Syndham Colts side that I was coaching. And in that team, I had uh, Tyler Blindale, uh, Cody Taylor, Elliot Dixon, Paul Naamu, um, Mason Rosewell, um, Marty Banks. And that, that Colts team had guys go on to do pretty special things. Johnny McNichol, uh, Simon Bergen. And they're like playing for Wales. Um, but like one of the best players, the best rugby brain that I ever was involved with was Tyler Blondale. Um Outstanding. Uh, he'd, be a, he'd be a great coach. He was, a uh, um, he probably never quite got the crack he deserved in New Zealand. Um, and when you looked at it, he sat behind some pretty uh, special all black first fives in Canterbury. Um, and it's just injury that's probably curtailed him probably playing for Ireland. Really. He's uh had a neck issue for probably the last three or four years. It's dogged him, but he was a he was a very very uh, very very special individual. Around his understanding and reading of the game and and the skill set he had.
3: Well, Steve, you you think you think about some of those names Dale just listed, you'd almost think it was a Canterbury Colts side, not a not a club's cult side. Crazy.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. it's it, it crazy. I mean, that just goes to show what you spoke about before, and the depth in places like Canterbury and how they run their game and how they get those things out of them. But um, it'd be nice if some of those could come down to, to the stags. Wouldn't it? I guess some players of that sort of quality coming down here would be good <laughs> keep that well, going up. It uh, would be. Well, I think um,
3: it leads me on to my next question. How how important is it to to forge relationships, no matter how the cards how the cards fall with players still? Well,
0: oh, look, you know, the, the way the game is and the way the world is today – if you want to achieve something pretty good, everyone's got to buy into your vision. So it's really important having those relationships. And the days are gone when you can tell someone, go and do this. You might get to do it once, but then that wears off. So building those relationships, um, you know, and if you look at what um, the Crusaders have done, um, and obviously the All Blacks, when Steve Hansen was going through and teamed, all successful teams have really good, um, strong communication relationships where, you can be honest with each other, Um, no one gets offended, you all agree, Um, and they're all there for the right reason. So for me, that's probably the number one thing that's probably uh, drives my coaching is just my relationships with the players and the trust you you grow from that.
3: Now, Dale, Northland and um, Northland have always had a great relationship with not just Canterbury, but of course the Crusaders. So how did you end up going from Christchurch to Whangarei? Well, so it was, uh, again, what happened was it was a a lot of
0: times opportunities arise from one reason or another. And and what happened was I was at the Canterbury Colts, my trainer, and Tim left the Canterbury Colts and went to Northland. And Darren Whitcomb was coaching them at the time with George Conier. And then George got a role in, um, in Japan, and he left. And then I was flying up there for an interview and um, Jeremy Parkinson rang me about a few days before I was heading up and said, oh, I just want to give you a heads up. Um, Darren's just resigned and he's gone to Japan as well. Are you still keen to come up? And so I said, yeah, I was keen to come head up. So I talked, obviously did some uh, talking to people around the place, went up there for an interview and um, – Come back, and then um, they rang me and said, "Look, you haven't got the head roll, but we would really love you to come back and be the assistant." Um, so I thought about it, and then I thought, "Well, you know, opportunities only come um, every now and again." So I, I jumped at the chance, and there was a massive learning for me. I, obviously, there was a a few things going on going into two fifteen, um, and so it was a real big eye opener for me when I got up there around what it was like. Um, and then the biggest thing was. Uh, building those relationships and once I spent that first year going through some adversity with those boys um, and they realised that I was there uh, for their interests, not just mine then we started to build some really strong relationships and we started to then in, in two sixteen and 2017 we really seen some progress in the group and, and what we're about so yeah, that's how that come about
3: Yep. And, and you and you hooked up with uh, with, with Richie, Richie Harris he's a, he's a pretty good bugger at, at the best, best of times, and uh, you know, once once you both had left Northland, you could just see that fruit just starting to develop, you know, young guys like Tamati Tura and a, and a couple of others. Tom Robinson, we see is going great guns at the minute, you know, young guys like Josh Goodhue, so that must give you a lot of personal satisfaction seeing how these guys are, are, are tracking at the minute. Oh, look, mate, yeah, I, I, I've got some
0: real special connections with Northland. Um, Richie, goodman man, um, I really uh, enjoyed my time with Richie, um, and he probably got the the rough end of the stick coming in. He, we, we really got a team that was sort of starting to fall off the radar, and then we started to build them, and then I was lucky enough to stay on for 2.17. Richie left at the end of 2.16, and when, it was really funny. Um, I was talking with someone the other night about that team we had, and when you look at it, you know, the, the Renee Rangers, the Jack Goodjews, the Josh Goodjews, Um, The Priors, um, Matt Moulds, um, Namati Wah, Sam Nock, um, Johnny Makalai, Ross Wright, uh, Maddie Wright. Uh, Jesus, it goes on and on. It was a pretty special team. In 2017, we made the semis. And, um, yeah, so a lot of memories there. And um, really pleasing to see, you know, and Scott Gregory started to come into our radar. And he was involved in our development program. So, Mate, I love the far attitude and and the talent they got up there, mate. In the north, um, Jesus, there's some talented boys. I'd love to, I'd love to get in a bus and go and grab form a bus up and drive back down, mate. They just they just got a great <laughs> attitude to life and how they go about stuff. So I really enjoyed the time there. And I learned a lot. So it was good.
3: Yeah, I Thank think you me. mentioned you mentioned before. Sorry, Steve, I let you jump in.
1: I was going to say, you've worked with a lot of um, coaches, a lot of mentors, I guess, that you've built relationships with, that you were talking about before. Who do you think you would have learned the most of, or has been the most um, uh, benefit for your learning as a coach, that you could take other places with your times as assistants and learning through Canterbury and their structures there?
0: Yeah, so I I suppose the first person that I really, uh, there was a guy, Alan Edge, who was at Sydenham Rugby, who was a very hard taskmaster. Um, I learnt a lot of him around, uh, I learnt some good things and I learnt some bad things, but um, I learned some really good subtle thing, little things he did around um, how he worked with the players, but as I progressed on, and I took I took over the Canterbury Colts, because Brad Moore, actually, he went to South Africa with the Kings, I think it was the Kings? Um, yeah. And so Brad stepped out, and I stepped in to be the head coach, and at the time, the, um, Tobias Matson was with the Crusaders, and the Crusaders wanted us to um, run and develop some um, patterns of play that they were looking at for the, for the upcoming season. And he came come and asked me if I'd be keen for him to jump on board and, and, and run some attack stuff. And I sort of had a, a, a talk to a few people, and a few people saying, oh, you know, they'll come in and take over and blah, blah, blah. But I thought, what a great opportunity for me to get along someone like that who's at the Crusaders level. Um, being involved in our program and how good that would be for our players and he was outstanding um, everything we did was you know really astute man good man um, big heart um, yeah so i learned probably most of my good things um, off tabs yeah he was an outstanding um, person about giving and how he went about stuff and how he looked at the game so yeah and he he was really he was outstanding in our program so yeah that was probably one of the one of the most influential guys on, on on my coaching for my through that period um, and then as you go through look I've learned off lots of good coaches um, everyone's got strong points um, everyone's got uh, get puts and teams with some talent no talent and and when you look back at what what were the biggest learnings I've ever got out of a out of a season I'd say 215 at Northland was the toughest thing I've ever been through and you learned a lot about yourself Um and I, I really, uh, from there, like, and, and as sometimes as a coach, you don't get a chance to experience that. So always look at look at opportunities for learning. And and geez, it would have been good to. Uh, usually, when you get your learning, it's really good to come out and get a win or that. But we had two fifteen, never won a game, never looked like winning the game. And geez, it was tough. But we learned a lot, and so did the players. So I I really I always look back at that year as being probably. Um, a really good learning year and being able to hang in there and keep fighting um, just reinforces, you know, why you do the job.
3: Dale, just before I hand you back to Stephen, we'll talk a little bit about uh, uh, how you got down to back down to uh, Southland. Just towards the end of uh, 2017, I know you were waiting to see what was going to happen with Northland or Eventuate, but there was also a couple of other opportunities as well as the Southland job that was on the table. There was maybe an opportunity in Japan as well. Yes, there was an opportunity in Japan, and, and at the time, look, I, I still would
0: love to go to Japan coaching, but I had my uh, two lads, um, Kelly, um, the two boys were in Christchurch, and it was sort of like they were still at the age of uh, weren't ready to probably leave the nest, or they'd, um, and and I would have liked to have spent a bit more time with them, and I thought if I went to Japan and they were staying in New Zealand, you, you just miss out on so much. Family's pretty important, and and you can't go back and get those years back. So for me, um, I had the opportunity. Um, there was a chance to go there, but then I got offered a role by, with Dave Hewitt, who I'd coached with at Sydenham Rugby. Um, he rung me up and asked me if I'd be keen. This while well, I was still in Northland, and uh, I, you know, like I would have stayed in Northland if the Cards had played their way and, and thing. But I got this opportunity, and I went down to Southland. And look, I love it down there. Good people. Uh, again, it's another challenge, and 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 it's about implementing some systems. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that, as a rugby union or a province, especially the minor ten provinces, a lot of the province is influenced by the coach that comes in, and the coach comes in and everything changes to suit that. Whereas I believe I'm a little bit the other way that I believe the coach comes in and works to suit the province, and I, I believe that. You've got to put systems in place. So if I'm plucked out of there and gone next year, I've created and put things in place that will do the province good. And I think that's the that's the key thing about about our provinces. And a province like Southland is, a coach will come in, they change the reinvent the wheel, it doesn't work, everything hits the deck, and then you've got to start again. So I believe we've put really good things in place over the last um, two years. Um, we're starting to see some really good young boys coming through our program. I'd like to think two of them will show their heads in might attend this year who are very talented, and it's a shame that New Zealand 20s is not happening going into next year because I believe both these boys would have made the New Zealand 20s training camp, and one of them or, or two of them could have pushed to New Zealand Twenty. So there's some exciting things happening down there. Um, we're growing our depth. We're growing our coach development. Um yeah, and so they're the things that excite me, um, and I think it's, a, you know, all minor 10 unions at, at uh, provincial level, that is what they need to get right. Um, yeah, to keep the game strong.
3: Just before I throw to Steve, you're listening to uh, New Zealand Sports Radio, a special interview with uh, Southland head coach uh, Dale McLeod. Don't forget, on a Wednesday night, do you know sport? So uh, look out, look out for that. We've got a... We had a great game last night. We've, I think we're into our third week, and we are looking for extra teams to jump on that show. I'll throw to you, Steve.
1: Now, just before we talk about the Stags, which I'm presuming why you're throwing to me for it, you've spoken a lot about how your family is spending a lot of family time um, with, with your kids and things like that. Is it a rugby family you've built there? Is it all rugby, rugby in the household, or is it very divided uh, between work and home? No, it's rugby, rugby. Um, both lads are rugby mad, um, and they're
0: both involved with Sydney Rugby. Um, and yeah, look, mate, they've, uh, they've probably had, had no choice really. To be fair, um, <laughs> but no, they were always keen, and they always used to come out when I they would come out when I was playing and still be involved. And then when I was coaching, I was always involved them in it. They, uh, they loved they love rugby, and um, yeah, so they're just uh, good New Zealand lads, really.
1: Yeah, good stuff. We'll talk about the stags. I guess we're going on to that sort of part of, of the journey next. The big question I really have is to, you got the call from Dave Hewitt to come down here and to look at the position of being his assistants. What was the big appeal uh, to moving to Southland as opposed to the other offers and and what you could actually add to down here with uh, with Hewitt at the helm? Well, for me, um,
0: look, I love a challenge um, and I like to make a difference. Um and one that was the opportunity, which is, you know, I want to coach. I love coaching. I love my 10. And I'd love to be like a progress on to super coaching or or eventually go to Japan or, or a, a Europe club. But look, I've, my dad uh, worked down there. And so I've got a connection. I've got aunties that live down there. So I've got a connection with um, with Southland. I've got a connection when I played um, uh, rugby in the South. We used to play Southland and and it's a it's a it's a province that's got plenty of uh, tradition, uh, plenty of passion. And so for me, it was a good fit at the time. And if, and, and like uh, when I was in Northland, so my boys are in Christchurch. For me to go and watch them play rugby on a Saturday, or if anything happened, I had to drive to Auckland or get on a flight and then get another flight. Whereas if I have to and I'm in Southland, I can jump in the car and seven hours later I can be in Christchurch. Um, it's a one-hour flight. Um, my mum's three hours up the road, so I can go and see her. And That's where I'm camped at the moment. So, the family thing, and I've got um, uncles and aunties all through Central Otago, um, Southland. So, I've got a family connection there, and it's really good to be amongst family. So, there was a whole lot of reasons, and and I knew a few of the few of the players down there, and through my uh, um, so it, you know, so look, yeah, it was it was quite an easy fit, and I love hunting, I love fishing.
1: Um, so look, there's a lot of positives there, you know. Yeah, love that self and lifestyle, eh? That's what it's all about, and a lot of players are a bit like that too. I'll oh, Dixon. I remember he was the number one hunter back in the day. He loved going out for the old hunt and the duck shoot and all that sort of thing. But you've already spent two years here uh, with, with Dave. Here, how did that go? Learn a lot about the team, about the players, and the direction you're wanting to push the squad. Yeah, look, what I learned was that
0: we had to get out and get connected with the community. And when I first got down to Southland, um, I spent the first three months just driving around all the country clubs, getting connected again um, before Moda 10 started. So when I arrived down there, they, I, my role was sort of uh, around some coach development. And we already had someone in the town competition or in the town area looking after the club. So I said, well, look, what I'll do is I'll just, yeah, I'll head out to the country. And I, I started calling in. And the first few times, it was a little bit like, who are you? Jeez, we haven't seen anyone we haven't seen anyone for three years. And with a bit of a cold shoulder. And then I'd go back two weeks later and then three weeks later, and the next minute they invite me in to stay on a Thursday for a meal and and have a beer. And so I built those those sort of relationships. And I suppose the biggest thing I learned was if the if the community know you're there for the good of South and Rugby, they'll get on board with you. Um, so I've been living down there the whole time me and kelly shifted down there so everyone it's only it's a small place everyone knows uh what you do where you live so i had to immerse myself in the community and immerse myself in the people and and my auntie's down there and she's a real strong southland supporter um it's really funny her seven brothers and sisters are in otago so whenever they have a family get together it's one verse seven and she, she stands up for herself, um, never loses any traction. So, um, look, mate, I, I, the place is good. I like it. Um, I really enjoy it. It probably doesn't get the crack of the salve that it deserves. Everyone says, oh, it's a cold, shitty hole. Uh, it could be further from the truth. Uh, they, the, the weather is, uh, I wouldn't say it's tropical like Northland, but, Jesus, I spent most of the time in shorts um, come the winter like, the, the two years I've been down there, I haven't spent a sideline getting absolutely poured on. Um, you know, so there might have been one or two occasions, but the rest of it, I go out. I'm out every Tuesday and Thursday at clubs. Um, you go out there as long as you've got your thermal top on and you're dressed accordingly. But all this rubbish about having to wear seven layers of thermals and that, Jesus, they're a bit soft, the people are saying that. So, yeah. could <laughs> agree
3: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pro- probably Aucklanders that have moved to Southland that are, uh, are saying that uh, uh, Dale, that's probably what it is. Listen, just your, they often say the strength of your provincial team is usually can be seen in the strength of your club competition. I know coming from North and North, North and Dvois, had a few issues in and around club club uh, club competition. You really want a, a, a strong competition. It's really important. Your first impressions when you when you got to Southland. Yeah, so when I went
0: down there, I went along to the first session that I was sort of having. Um, this was not this was the Southland session. Um, and it was an HP group they were working, and they really, when you looked at the club scene, there were six Premier clubs, and then there was a Division One comp that they said was really good and going really good, and it was really competitive and strong. But when you looked across the Premier competition, that they selected the Stags from, there was only ninety players in that. And of that, half of them didn't want to or weren't, couldn't play in the Stags. And of the 45 that were left, there was only probably 20 that were good enough. And so really, you were given a group that weren't ready to play might of ten, or they hadn't had a fair opportunity to to prepare or get the development they needed. So there was two things we needed to sort. One, we needed to get more players, and to do that, we had to get the Division One group to be ambitious enough to to mix it with the town teams. And so I was told that I was dreaming if I ever thought that would happen. But what I did was build relationships and then start to talk to rugby people about the first thing I get is, oh, you know, why are you not picking these boys in the stags? And I go, well, mate, they're not ready. You know, these are the things. They've got to be able to be this fit. They've got to be this strong. They've got to be able to do this. So it's all very well going hard for five minutes. But I need guys that, that are training four nights a week, play really well on a Saturday. So – how do we do that? How do we create that? So last year we got the we got the division one clubs and the premier clubs to merge for the first round. So that was a 12-team comp. And then after they'd played, so we split them into two pools after they played their first round. The best three went into the top six from each pool, and the bottom three went into the bottom six. So effectively, the the worst they could end up, or the best, was back where they were in a division. Uh, like a two-tier system. And the competition was really good. But what we found was a couple of the clubs in the country early on got a few injuries, didn't have enough depth. So it was a real positive last year, a really good club. But all of a sudden I had, um, and to give you examples of how it flowed on, we selected from Division One sides, we played uh, Nandroga at the start of the year, a Fijian, the top Fijian club. And we played them in February at the field days. And then out of that, I selected a group of 45 boys to farm that game who are all local, no super boys for a start off. And out of the country clubs and the Division One clubs, we selected two out of every club to come in. We also had uh, five boys from the country make our academy group. So all of a sudden, they could see that they were starting to get opportunities and they performed very well in it because they've been working in our HP group as well. So now we've grown it to, we've got a group of 52 working at the moment. And of that, there's boys scattered all through the province, which is really good. And we'll grow that again. Um, so by having a bigger club comp and what was going to happen this year, we were going to have uh, a full, uh, uh, well, again, two of the clubs dropped out of, oh, we don't want to play um, in the Premier next year. It's too hard for us to do this. Then the other two clubs, or were in there, was sort of like, oh, hold on, if they don't want to be in there, we don't want to be in there by ourselves and, and play premier Club. So what we did was restructure it again and said, right, we got our top six and we got our two finalists from Division One last year, play a, a round robin, and from that, two will drop out to go back in Division One with the other other groups, and we've got a top 20 comp now. So it starts off as one pool. And a second pool, and then as you go, uh, the first round of eight, two drop down, and the bottom 12 they play around Robin, and their top four come up. So then we end up with three pools of a, a six, a six, and an eight. So no matter what happens, you'll end up where you end up in your competition. Whereas if uh, one year you might be strong because you've had an influx of uh, workers because of certain industries, strong. The next year they all leave, but you get hammered in, in that grade. So you'll go into the competition and you'll find your way and our best teams will work their way to the top six. So that's a way of, of getting the team in 20th position, which this year is Matara. This is their first time into this top 20. And they could work their way in to make the semifinals of the middle part of the competition. And then from there, they recruit and do a few things. And then the next year they make their way to the top six. Or they lose a few people and they work their way back down to the the bottom eight. But it allows teams to progress through the season depending on um, how strong they are or how well-resourced they are, so to speak. So that makes our club competition a south on wide one as opposed to a town competition. So that's been, that would have been a great success story for this year, but we've had to evolve, and obviously with this... Uh, um, COVID thing going on, we'll just we'll just work through it. And We actually had a meeting last night with all the, the presidents of the club so we had 43 club members on this Zoom meeting last night just discussing options and what it looks like for them and how we make it work. So a lot of positive things happening down there.
1: And that increases your broad range of players available, doesn't it? Instead of having just those key town clubs you've got a whole range of players playing at possibly a higher level against each other as well which gives you in turn more players to look at. Is, is the focus of these club teams down here for local talent predominantly, or, or are they looking to, I guess, strengthen themselves in any means possible if they can afford and have those resources to do it? Well,
0: I mean, so this is the funny thing. When you say resources, everyone has got resources. But the thing that I found when I first went down to Southland was that the resource they always talked about was dollars. I oh, know we've paid players before, and it's killed us, and, it, you know... There's resources, there's heaps of employment, there's there's accommodation, there's um, opportunities for all sorts of things. So, what a part of that My role, what I did at the end of two, we're eighteen, so going into last year, I sat down and met with all the with all the club coaches, and I said, look, what players do you need? We talked about what we need at the Stags. But first and more was more about if we can make the club comp strong, we'll become strong of it. Whereas I said, don't rely on the stags to make your team strong because they leave and you've got nothing. So we worked on the proviso that, hey, look, we've got 15 contracts available. We'll help you. you what areas do you need? And w- when we sat down with the clubs, the 12 clubs, every I said, tell us three or four positions that you really need. Well, everyone had three or four players. So that was 36 to 48 players. Now we're not going to get that in our own province because you'll only end up robbing each other. So the clubs did a really good job around starting to go, and this is evolving and we were working with them. What would it look like? Um, You know, okay, if you can have a job sorted, I think we can go and find you a player. So our job was to find the player for that club. They just had to find the job and the accommodation, or maybe we'll help out for two weeks here with accommodation. And, so that started to evolve and grow, but obviously this was our second year of that and the COVID really just came in at the wrong time and, and squashed because boys have come down to, for an opportunity and now they've all shot back home. Um, but look, for us it's about, it's like anything, if we want South and Robbie to grow and evolve, just like we want the Southland community to evolve and grow, you have to have fresh blood and people coming in, whether it's working for the plumber or working, even if they don't play rugby, things have to evolve and change, and I think that the more um, the people come down and and we see it for growing the community, then we'll be the winner, the Stags will be the winner out of that, so it's a a, um, connected thing we work together on, because that's one thing that's really happened in the last 12 to 18 months, is we're all aligned and we're all working together for the one thing, and that's for Southland, so that's been a very, very positive move. um
3: Dale, just like any union, a lot of, you have a lot of sort of ex, ex heroes that have played for the unions. Have you got a few that have that have come out of the woodwork? I mean to say the likes of a Dave Henderson or a Jason Rutledge, you know, just to just to name a couple of guys. You're getting a lot of support from that area. Well, so to be fair, we South that we probably haven't been really good in that area. And what I mean by that is
0: there's so many good people down there, and like you just mentioned a couple, but you got the Jimmy Cowans. Um, uh Lester Rutledge um, all of those people are real passionate about the stag so the first thing is and we talk about um, player relationships we' got to have really good relationships with them and so like David Henderson um, I asked them and talked to them when the job became available for the head coaching role what their opinions were and what they thought and I felt it was really important that um, that I had their backing but also, that they believed in what I was trying to do. And and to be really fair, um, I caught up with David um, a little bit through that um, interview process. He was part of the interview process um, for the job. And I've been meaning to go back and catch up and sit down. And then um, with all this COVID and stuff, things have obviously changed. But look, mate, there's a lot of rich history and a lot of good uh, people down there that are really keen to be involved. And it's just a matter of, um, building those relationships again, I, I just felt they were left a little bit out in the cold. Um, and if you look at look at the, the the Canterbury region, they really resource everyone who's been a player is still involved in some capacity in mentoring or skill development. And so that's something I want to grow down there. Getting our and Jason Rutledge, he's involved with coaching and um, um, and so are other people down there. Um, but it's just just using them to be involved and and, and like, it's so powerful with them talking and being with the players, um, passing on old secrets, traditions. Um, so, look, yeah, I believe that we can be better in that space, um, and it's something that I want to really focus on. Um, and it's quite been quite funny because we've just done a team of the decade, last decade, and obviously that, the era they had, the team that was, you know, the um, the Jamie McIntoshes and uh Josh Bekuis and, well, they've they're actually, they're really, it's really funny because four or five of those boys that are in that team, named the team of the decade, have all sort of migrated back to New Zealand because of the, of the situation that's going on. I've had a couple of conversations with some of them at the moment just around thoughts and ideas going forward. And, look, they're passionate Southland people and they sort of want to be involved. And so, look, who knows what could run out on the first home game at, at Southland. But, look, mate, you know, there's some... Uh, some really good uh, men there that have been through some really good times with uh, Southland Rugby and look, it would be silly not to utilise their either resources or knowledge or or involve them in what we're trying to do.
1: You've mentioned a little bit how important those guys are uh, on a coaching level and a little bit about the players as well, but how key have those guys that have come back over the last couple of seasons, like the James Wilsons and Marty McKenzie's that we got back they made a huge impact to the team. How have they infected the squad in, in terms of what they've learned from them and, and what they've brought back from their overseas adventures and just their experience over New Zealand rugby and abroad? Yeah, well, the experience is a
0: key one. And, it, and it's something that's really hard to really hard to find in a lot of New Zealand rugby teams nowadays. You know, even the super teams' experience is a key thing. And the, and the best teams have good experience. So, like, James Wilson was outstanding. Um, I can't speak highly enough of him. Uh, great man. Uh, offered really good value, uh, real professional, and hence why he's still playing at the age of, Jesus, what is he, 37 or something? <laughs> and it wouldn't surprise me if he turned up and um, wanted to have a crack this year. He's back in New Zealand. But I think he's I mean, he's gone back to uh, England with his girlfriend. But, look, he's, uh, he was a great man. Uh, Marty McKenzie come down, and to be fair, it was a bit of a shock for Marty when he first come down around um, uh, of where we're at and what we're trying to do and build. And, look, he's been good. Um and and he's grown into enjoy enjoy um, being back in Southland. So look, yeah, you, you, it's really it's it's critical to have experienced good people in your group. And and um, yeah, so look, mate, it's really good. And um, yeah, as I said, it's going to be quite interesting to see what this year pans out like.
1: Yeah, hopefully <laughs> we see some more of them turning back out there again. That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Just wind what back is? the clock a little bit. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, look, it, it, I'm a little bit uh sort of how do you put it? So. There's some really good boys that have worked really hard for opportunities as well.
1: Mm.
0: And so just getting that blend right, like you don't want to cut someone's opportunity off because someone's come back, but it's really important that you got to pay respect to both of them. And and I think we've built a, a, you know, one of the key things for me was to build a squad. And if you, over the last two or three years, we probably used 38 to 45 players a year. So for me, the first thing I had to do was build a group of 35 to 40 players capable of playing Mitre 10. Um, are we there yet? Probably not quite, but we're really, I believe we've got 32 boys that are ready to play Mitre 10. Um, there's a couple of key areas we need, but look, you know, it's really important that I don't, because I'm massive on pathway. And, you know, if I'm true to my words, one of the things I wanted to create in Southam was a pathway that people could see and believed in. And so I don't want to, um, shut the door on somebody's face who's worked really hard and done everything I've asked. So it's it's gonna be a balancing act, but I'll have a bit of pressure on me, don't you worry. I've already had people come to me saying, Jesus, Jamie McIntosh is back in town. <laughs> uh, Josh Bexler, he's arrived. So yeah, I've just got a I've got to get that right, but don't don't get me wrong. I'll be definitely chatting to them about how they add value and what we and how we make it work, really. Um, yeah.
3: Dale, I just want to touch on some of your your young players. Back in 2017, when you were involved with Northland, they played Southland up in in Whangarei. And that particular night, a young fella by the name of Manaki Selby Rickett was just absolutely outstanding. Obviously, he's had his issues, but we've seen him take his opportunity in the Highlanders this year, but not just um, Manaki Rickett, but we've seen also Joe Walsh. Take their opportunities. You you spoke about that balance, but boy, it's great to see that the uh, the fruit is actually just starting to develop.
0: Oh look, that's probably my number one reason why I coach, is to see and be involved with young men that get an opportunity and, and like Manaki, um, yeah, look he he uh, he did he didn't um, cover himself in glory um, when he got in um, a little bit of strife, but to his credit, he stood up and took his punishment. And he's worked really hard to um, – I've seen some massive growth in him in the last six months. And obviously, you learn from your mistakes. Um, sometimes you get punished. Sometimes you don't. Um, mate, look, he's – so just to give you an indication, so we've got our mini teams we got working at the moment. Superboys are doing their work. Now, I asked our Superboys to come online and be part of our little thing we're doing, but I said, look, I understand – if you're busy with the Blues or the Highlanders or the Canes, we don't want to in, 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 um, come into your space. They all have jumped on board and adding really good value. And so the Eastern um the Menake Selby Ricketts, the Joe Walsh's, the Logan Crowley's, he's been at, um, at the Canes. Um, Ray nuu who's been at the Highlanders as well. Look, they're just getting really good development. And when you look at boys like that, that have started in our program and started in our system, I believe there's another three or four boys that really deserve the same opportunities that are playing for South at the moment um, that wouldn't be disgraced in any super team in New Zealand. Um, so look, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm really proud of what those young men are achieving and, um, yeah, and so are a lot of other people.
3: Yeah, exactly. Ray, Ray New is one of those young guys that comes to mind, but a, a player I was just sheerly impressed. One big human being was Pasilio Tossy, the number eight, how much potential has this young man got? Well, yeah, now he's uh, he's another person
0: that I reckon can change rugby and 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 just to give you a heads up, so we've converted him to tight head prop. Uh, <laughs> he, he will take uh, he will take uh, front row play to a new dimension, I believe, around his his explosive ball carry. He's 140 KGs and <laughs> Over over fifteen meters, twenty meters. He's explosive. He's so powerful. Like what he squats and bench presses in the in the gym's phenomenal. And to the stage where we go, mate. You're not allowed in the gym. We don't want him getting bigger. But like um, he 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 is uh, so yeah. So he got the opportunity to join the um, the Asian Pacific um, China. Uh, it was with the Bar Plenty Group that was involved in that. And I talked to Clayton about it. And I said, look, mate, it'd be a great opportunity to give this young man a crack. He, he can do things with raw power. Under your leadership and guidance through this program, it'll be great development for him. And and, he, and he'd had a wee bit of uh, to do with him while he was up at... Uh, and he was schooled up in Bar Plenty, um, played first 15 up there. Um, so he knew about him. And so he got the opportunity to go there, and um, it was cut short. And how, how this all happened was... I looked at him and thought, Jesus, how can we use you? The way the loose forwards play the game now, he wasn't a he wasn't a sort of player that had a, the capacity to to go for sixty five minutes as a loose forward. But Jesus, when he's when he carries and when he does things, he's powerful. So we played Nandroga, the the Fijian team, at the start of the year, and I said, mate, I'm keen to give you a crack at uh, tight head prop, but I don't want to do it for this game, so I'm going to play at eight in the first half. And then I thought we'd been doing stuff with him around his scrummaging and that. Not a lot, to be fair, um, because I had no intentions of throwing him in the deep end. I didn't want to kill him off in the first go. And um, he played the first 30 minutes at number eight in the first half. And then the second half, we started our sort of our top side. And I, I went up to him and I said with about 10 minutes to go, or about 12 to go, I said, what are your thoughts about having a crack at prop? he goes, mate, yeah, just chuck me on. I'm keen as. And I thought, okay, warm up, and I'll give him eight minutes because he'll only probably get two scrums in eight minutes. Well, we got on, and they would have had six scrums in eight minutes. And the first three scrums, he just absolutely demolished the guy he was scrumming against. So then they brought on this guy who was built like an absolute brick. Um, you know the second word <laughs> yep. that. Massive man. And I thought, oh, good he might get a wee bit of a lesson here. Well, he just destroyed him as well. And he'd come off the field and I said to him, how did that feel? And he said, Oh mate, I love that. It's the best rugby I've played in years. And and he just loved the scrummaging. So I believe that, um, he could play super rugby next year. Uh, a super team will be silly not to look at him because of his sheer physicality. What he does as a rugby player, um, how he plays the game. He could take front rowing to a new dimension. Um, around what he does. So, yeah, look, he's, uh, I think he's going to be a freak of a front rower.
3: Now, yeah, we're just uh, counting down towards the end. We're talking to uh, the head coach of the Stags, uh, Dale McLeod, on New Zealand Sport Radio. We're starting to wind down, Dale, but just before we do, we're just basically, what well, we are going to touch on moving forward, there's a lot of talk about how, how the competition restarts, what we're looking at. Obviously, you know, the numbers are starting to come down in this uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic. In a perfect world, boy, I I mean to say, at least this is just my opinion, I would just love to see the Mitre 10 Cup pretty much up and running. Park Super Rugby up for one year. And you talk about all these players that are coming back, back in. What are your own thoughts just off the record?
0: Oh, look, mate, obviously I've got my Mitre 10 hat on, so I reckon we get into Mitre 10 straight away and we go till Christmas time. But um <laughs>
3: uh,
0: I don't carry much weight when it comes to decision-making. But what I understand is going to happen, and I suppose there's a lot of things to think about. Um, all of our MITA 10 boys, especially for a province like Southland like last year, we only had one super player, and that was Marty McKenzie. So our boys have really had no rugby. Um, and for them to go from zero and be playing against boys who have been, who've had... Um, three, six months of Super Rugby around their pre-season and seven games, it, you might end up with a bit of an attrition rate that's uh, not ideal. So my understanding is, again, there's a lot of things at play here, but my understanding is that the All Black coaches are really keen for a um, of, of 10 weeks of Super Rugby. That allows um, Club Rugby to get up and going. That allows minor 10... Um, teams to start playing six or five or six rounds of club rugby then go to their Mitre 10 um, competition, so again it's about getting the body's condition for contact. If there's no club rugby, um, obviously they're really pushing hard for super rugby to get that 10 weeks of you know a local derby uh, two games a week, home and away for two rounds, then they split away to be all blacks and do their thing and then Mitre 10 takes over but look, I have no doubt Mitre 10 will be the competition of the of the season, um, and it's just a matter of how we blend boys who have played no rugby so far this year with boys that have been working through a super programme. So I think they're, they're thinking that it's much easier to get five teams up and going in a professional comp, get them going, then build our Mitre 10 group, and we'll probably start – they're talking about starting in mid-September could be the option, and play through till December. So – um, just to try and cater for the needs of everything. Obviously, there's a lot of money things going on, um, Sky Television, um, you know, things like getting all everything sort of up and getting everyone to have a bit of something to keep everything going. But, mate, I'd love it to be a... Imagine, imagine how good it would be if it's a modern 10 comp that's got everyone involved in it, All Blacks, um, uh, everyone who's come back from overseas, um, our best players playing. Jesus, like, if we can... I think that's one of the things that's missing out of, of New Zealand rugby is uh, is uh, is like the Southland-Otago game is always a big game, but it should be the the Northland-Southland game, the Canterbury-Southland game. Um, you know, just that that, that, um, that real territory-based um, buy-in and, and get people bums back on seats and provide a, something we haven't had for a long time. You know, you imagine how good the Ramfley Shield will be with everyone playing... Uh, you know what I mean? like So there's some real, there's some, you know, but again, if we go down that track, then there's some other losses too, you know what I mean? So it's it's a tough one, but, mate, I'd love to see uh, Mitre 10 bloody cracking into it.
1: From a fan's perspective, moving off slightly that sort of uh, direction, taking over the coaching role at the Stags here, the head coach now, we, we've seen them over the last couple of years probably been quite uh, really attack at all will uh, from the team, are we going to expect some more of that, or being more defensively minded? Coach, uh, are you going to see it probably toned down a little bit and try and more contain and take more opportunities, but more structured way with the way the Stags play this season or next season, when are they going to get back to it?
0: Yeah, so look for me, mate. We still want to entertain. Um, you know, people don't want to come and watch boring rugby, but I get keep getting told the 9-3 victory over Canterbury for the
1: Shield. But, uh, <laughs> rugby. That's what it is.
0: But look, for us, mate, it's you know, I'm, I'm probably I've spent more time as an attack coach than I have as a defense coach. Um, and, and I suppose for me, there's a few key things in our game that that cost us. One is we were we we failed to take opportunities that we created the last couple of years, we put ourselves in a lot of matches to win. So for me, it's more about let's make sure we make better decisions in these positions, you know, making sure that our our players are very clear around w- what we expect. In this situation, what are we looking for? So if we're in our exit zone or in our 22, the key things are to get out. Now, if they provide an opportunity for us to run it out, I'm a great believer and we'll be running it out. You know what I mean? So, um, And, look, boys want to play rugby. People want to watch rugby. And, like, I can't blame the style, how we played last year. We did enough to win more games than we did, and I believe we should have won probably four or five games. Um mm-hmm but it was just key moments, and again, it was we didn't have the depth, um, we probably played too many boys for too long in a season, and, that, and that's the beauty of depth, is in that you can rest some guys, and give guys opportunity, I want to have it go to go to the start of this year, and know that everyone in the squad is going to get game time in the first three weeks, because I trust the squad, and we've developed and built a squad, so, you know, um, time will tell, but I, I believe that, yeah, we're going to entertain within reason, um, because we want we want to win, we want to entertain, and and people, the the one thing I've learned down Southland, they don't care what the score is. If you give 100% and bleed for the jersey, they'll back you 100%. And that and was the same in Northland, mate. You know, the year in 2015, Jesus, we got we got crucified. The boys were scared to go out in public. Then we <laughs> beat, Waikato, beat Waikato the next year, and it was, oh, you know, beauty. And then we won five games the next year, and Jesus, the boys were, like, living in paradise. Everywhere they went, everyone wanted to talk to them. Everyone was involved, and... And that's how infectious it is. So one of my goals this year with the Stags is to have the best crowd, the best support at home games. And we've got some things up our sleeve we're going to we're gonna do around that, um, which are going to try and really drive people want to come to the game because they love the atmosphere. So, yeah, so we've got a few things to work at the moment around that.
1: I think Southern can definitely go down as one of the more entertaining teams over the last couple of years to watch, especially. And I think, like you spoke of there, that the – Support here is, is very loyal support. Um, yes, everyone wants to win, everyone wants to get behind the team and, and see them do well. I mean, those Ramford Shield days a decade ago, I mean, that place was stacked, absolutely stacked down there. Um, but they still support is still there, and I think the support is still, the base is still there to get behind the team. Uh, just probably one of my last questions before we run out of time. When you applied for this head coaching job at the Stags here, how, how important or how critical it was to you with the players being involved in the actual um, selection process, or so they gave you confidence knowing that those guys had the faith in you to do the job uh, going forward and getting that head, head coach job. Oh, mate, to me that's everything. If they didn't believe in what I was doing,
0: I was I just need to step away and let someone else have a crack. Um, but look, yeah, I you know it's like anything I do with coaching, the players have a big say in it, and we're working through a lot of things at the moment about how we want to play and what we want to do, and what does a stag look like? And, and so what the players think is, is really important, mate. You know, it's not about what I think. Um, <laughs> it's about what they think, and that's how you get them to play for it, eh? It has to mean something.
3: So, yeah, really important. Yeah, Steve, uh, the Dale, but uh, beg your pardon. I, uh, one area where I thought Southland were, were fantastic last year. I don't really know if your scrum got bettered last year, and I must admit, the, the game that... That there were a couple of games that really agitated me where you had teams up front, but just sort of little mistakes cost you at the end of the day. Yeah, no, you did right there. So
0: uh, one of the things I do at the end of a season is really analyse what we need to work on and the key areas for us. So our scrum was one of the best in the competition. Um, our line-out let us down in key moments and, and, our, and our, our percentage was way down on what it needed to be. Um, and we ended up where we ended up basically because of that. Um, and then key moments when we had opportunities and just simple things and again it comes down to coaching and developing and boys you know scanning looking for opportunities feeding in comms backing your skills under pressure so we've done a lot of work on that and we've worked really hard from last um, november so we our boys building to that nandroga game that was outstanding for us a real focal point and geez we got a lot of got a lot of and i we watched that game and um, and we were really pleased with what we saw in February, It'd be the best prepared team ever in Southland in February. Um, and what they did was and how they played um, was really encouraging and it was a real shame that this has happened. But our boys have been working real hard in this period. So look, mate, I'm really excited um, leading into 2020. Um, and, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Well, I think it's only
3: fair get across to Steve and maybe, um, maybe if he's got one more last question to
1: oh. ask. I was going to let you have the honour. I, I had a couple of extra little lined up, but I guess since we're interviewing you, yourself, the person, what does the future hold? Where are we looking forward to for you? we got big plans for the Stags. Um, you want to go up the food chain here in, I guess, Super Rugby, International Rugby. Big plans for the future for yourself?
0: Well, look, mate, I've got some big plans for South and for a start off.
1: Um, and
0: the players are fully aware of those, and um, they're things that we'll keep pretty close to our chest. But they're, they're, that's really important for me, first and foremost, that I nail those. I'm not to looking too far ahead as far as where I go to next. What would I like to do? I'd love to be in a, a full-time coaching job where I just coach players. I, I do a lot of coach development. I do a lot of player development. I do a lot of um, stuff in the community space. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love that. But, geez, I love coaching um, and the minor 10 season, you blink and you're halfway through it. And then you cough and it's all over. So, look, I'd love to be involved in a full-time, um, you know, 25-week competition or a 20-week competition or an 18-week competition. But I love my job um, and and I'm loving what I'm doing. And, yeah, so I've got some pretty pretty high aspirations for the group. And they've bought into them. We've already discussed what they look like. So, And I'm seeing what they're doing. Is, is replicating the actions I need to see for us to succeed in that space. So well, going to
1: make you confident. All I can say is go the mighty Stags. No, nah, right, so, so, D- D- McLeod,
3: D- McLeod, thank you very, very much for your time. Now, if you're a Southland Stag supporter and you get to see uh, this video or listen through our podcast via New Zealand Sport Radio, I'm sure you'll be very, very impressed what you've saw and heard this afternoon. You've got a very passionate, committed man at the helm there down in Southland Rugby. I've been Stephen Harris. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for Steve from Stagland for joining us. Of course, Dale and of course, Paul, who pushed all the buttons today. Thank you.